In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here. That you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Today, as you know, is the feast, the solemnity of Saint Joseph, that the Church invites us to have recourse to Saint Joseph, the husband of Mary, and the guardian of the Universal Church. This patient and serene figure that we gaze at now as we see him looking down on the child Jesus here in this painting. Recently in my center, we received a beautiful 17th century painting from Bolivia of the Cuscanian school, probably from the 1690s or so. It was given to me by a cooperator. It was quite damaged but I had it reframed and restored. And we see Joseph there with the child Jesus, holding the child Jesus at, he's about 12, who's taking Joseph by the hand. And it's as though he, the little child is, is walking forward, kind of gently saying to him, let us go over here. Let us move down here. And Joseph, if you've seen the painting, you'll see he has a gentle meditative gaze, his eyes looking down in a somewhat naive style of the Cuscanian school. But he does seem to be praying in this painting, certainly, and, and many of the paintings you will have seen. He seems to be praying, but Above all, he does not look afraid. He's not fearful. He's, he's not stressed. In the Bible, there are at least 365 times in the Bible that speaks about fear, especially about not being afraid. Do not be afraid. And, and we can imagine that that kind of fear that must have entered the lives of many characters in the Bible, that fear did not enter into Joseph, did not paralyze him. If anything, it just made him enter more, more radiantly, you could say, into his call. And many people have passed in front of this painting which we have in, installed in the, in the just little room just in front of the oratory where the confessionals are. 
There's a little area so that you walk in through one door and then there's another door to lead you into the actual oratory. But just as you enter the oratory itself, you see St. Joseph meditative with the child Jesus kind of saying, come, let's go, let's go here, Father. And as people see this now, people have decided now to invoke St. Joseph and ask him, pray for me. They feel, you could say, that he is their protector. He is their guardian. He's the guardian of their family, of their work, and also the guardian of their divine vocation. And now, in a special way, we can invoke him to be our guardian of our family, especially in front of this health crisis that the whole world itself is, is suffering now with many, many hundreds of people being, being infected by this and, of course, many thousands also dying. The epicenter now seems to be in Italy where thousands of people have died already. Everything is, of course, as anywhere else, but there in particular, everything is, everybody is in quarantine. So that's why we go to him and we ask him, St. Joseph, help me not to be afraid. Not to be afraid. Not to let fear enter into my heart. Because after all, a lot of this has to do with the fear of the unknown. Uh, is it going to get worse? Uh, is it going to spike? When is, this, is, this, is the curve going to go down? St. Joseph didn't know what he was going into when he fled into Egypt. He just got up and went, did what he had to do. That's why this feast, or you could say this solemnity of St. Joseph is an occasion for us to ask him to intercede for us so that our life's purpose come more clearly into focus. As we know, it's for many a day to renew their God-given call, renew their yes, their commitment, and they invoke Him, and they say, what do they say? Yes to God. Yes to what you want from me. And we too now, we want to renew our covenant with God. Because throughout the Bible, God makes covenants with His people. From from Abraham to Moses to David, uh, of course, starting with uh, Adam himself. And that's really ultimately what our divine vocation is. It's a covenant. God establishes covenants with man, specific, you could say, a specific way in which he deals with us. He assigns uh, fixed laws for other creatures. He assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters might not transgress its commands, as the book of Proverbs says. Animals act in a certain way. They act like that by, by instinct because that's a law, you could say, that God ins ins inserted, you could say, in them. Yet, us, man, he left us to our own inclination. He, he, le he left us free. 
And that's why he, he instituted these, these covenants. Adam, Noah, Abraham. And all those covenants of the Old Testament, they were really ultimately the foreshadowing of the covenant with Christ and the founding of the church. Thus says the Lord, he who created you, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. Says, says Isaiah the prophet, fear not, I have redeemed you. Regardless of what happens to our life, I have redeemed you. God has made a covenant with us by giving us a divine vocation. And that is, you could say, articulated in our baptism. And then we respond to that covenant through faith. And in time, through fidelity. Through love. And it's amazing, with time, we become exactly what He wanted us to be. According to His plan. And we do that freely. We're not forced. He's not put in us a kind of a program, uh, you know, a, a code that has to go through. It's free. It's free for us to enact this, this plan. And we know how the covenant in Christ was realized through the correspondence of Our Lady to her vocation. That too, she could have said no. She was free. And in that plan, well, there we find this luminous figure of St. Joseph. The protector, you could say, he was like the protector of that vocation. He was the protector of Our Lady's vocation. She was free, but Joseph, Jesus, or rather God, needed Joseph too. It didn't have this, the particular protagonism, you could say, of the apostles that, like Peter and Paul, that our Lord would later choose, but Jesus needed Joseph too. And without that silent yet active fidelity of Joseph, who gets out of bed, gets out of his comfort zone, and enters into that adventure which he does not necessarily understand entirely. He does not perfectly grasp everything that is happening, happening to him. He trusts God. He trusts God. He was a man of deep interior life. He trusts God because he somehow understood exactly what God wants, even though he didn't know all the details. He may not have understood all the intricacies of that plan, but he knows his role. He knows his place. He knows that God wants him to protect this family, to watch over the Holy Family, to help Mary, help her, in this case in particular, to integrate into society. A woman alone in those days was, it just, it just wasn't done. It was uh, certainly a, a woman alone with a, with a son. It would not have made any sense. So that's why, like that painting, it's as though Jesus saying, okay, Joseph, now let's go over here. And little, the little child Jesus is leading him along. 
and he's surrounded by beautiful landscapes and there are birds all over you know, like the like the like the song of the chickadee the song of that chickadee that is so positive and optimistic and you could say full of joy and hope not like the hooting of the owl no. the song of the chickadee and I looked at that painting and I said yeah those look like those look like chickadees, those, those birds, and there's like seven or eight of these surrounding him. They're all red, and he's wearing kind of a red uh, garment as well. But he lets himself be led, doesn't say anything. Not a single word of his is recorded in the gospel, not a single word. That's why he's been called Joseph the Silent. Joseph the silent. He's silent in the sense that he, there's not a word of his recorded, but probably also he, he was by character also silent. I just doubt he was this gregarious, you know, fast-talking, sanguine personality. I doubt it, but you know, maybe, but uh, I, don't, I don't think so. And that all those things he would have said were simply not recorded. Well, maybe, but I don't think so. He's, he's Joseph the Silent. Pope Benedict said, let us allow ourselves to be infected by the silence of Joseph. Let us allow ourselves to be infected by the silence of Joseph. He says, we have much need of it in a world which is often too noisy which does not encourage reflection and listening to the voice of God. Yeah, that was what he said shortly after he was elected. And, well, now, certainly in this time, we have to be infected, of course, by that silence, by that prayerfulness. And clearly, he was entrusted with a mission, a mission that he was not expecting. You could say it took him somewhat you know, off, uh, off guard and took him perhaps some time to figure out. Especially when, of course, we know he saw his betrothed when he saw her, Mary, pregnant. He was, imagine how perplexed he was by seeing that. Seeing Mary, who was beautiful, who was pure, who was, who was reverent and pious, and he really had, he said to himself, wow, I've hit the jackpot, you know, how I've, how, you know, God is good to me, he's given me this wife, and then bang, he sees her pregnant, because he doesn't know, doesn't know. This just does not seem to make sense to him. He could not understand just knowing Mary, knowing her, her goodness and her innocence. Federico Suarez wrote a book about Joseph of Nazareth, about this angst, you could say, that must have hit him. And he goes into very great detail what must have gone through the mind of Joseph. He was perplexed. He did not understand. But I don't think he gave way to anxiety or fear. 
And so Federico Soares says that in the end, Joseph felt, well, there was a mystery here, something greater than he. And he did not feel worthy really to be, to be part of it. And so he thought, well, the best thing for me, since I'm not worthy, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna divorce her privately, just so no shame comes upon her. That was the only solution he could think of because he didn't know what was going on. But then in his sleep, as he slept so soundly, so deeply, there he was lying in a cot or perhaps on the ground. There, God spoke to him in that marvelous dream, that moment of repose that had become, you could say, a turning point in his life. It was more than just rest. We all need rest, but you could say sleep was for him a resetting of everything back to normal to put meaning and purpose into what he had seen or what he had not understood. Now, after that sleep, he understood his vocation. He understood his mission. It was all clear. Isn't it true that sometimes we are perplexed about something we don't understand, we don't know how to act, we don't know what to do? What a good thing it is. Let's sleep on it. Let's sleep on it. To us, sometimes it, it's another way of saying, well, let's pray about this. But to sleep, to actually sleep, to go to bed and, and be unconscious for a while. There the Lord works. You know, uh, you know like here when the administration comes, everybody leaves and, and they come and clean. You know? That's in my house anyway, they come and clean. And uh, nobody's there when they're cleaning. Well, that's what happens in, in us. Everything shuts down when we're sleeping, and then God comes and cleans. He comes and He wipes away the things that have gotten dirty in our head and cleans it and allows us to reboot, you could say. That's why Pope Francis has a little statue in his, in his room or in his office, uh, a little statue of the sleeping Joseph, which you may have seen. And there, he tells us that he places notes of the names of people, of intentions of sick people. He places a little note of something that is of concern to him, and he places it there under the head of Joseph, who is lying down, sleeping. It's a little statue. And imagine now in these days, he has asked God, he has told us, he has asked God to stop the coronavirus, to stop it in its tracks for all of humanity. And I'm sure one of those papers now is right, a big one, right underneath the head of Joseph. COVID-19. And no problem, Joseph is not gonna get infected. He's fine. And then, well, Joseph, how fast he came to understand his mission in that amazing sleep. He got up faster, so fast after that night, right? 
absent. He got even faster up after when, when the angel told him to leave for Egypt. There too he had to leave, even faster. There he was working against the, against the clock. There were dangerous enemies all around. And after, after that, after been been in Egypt, in a foreign country for some time, he said, okay, okay, let's go back to Bethlehem now and, and chill. No, no, don't go to the Bethlehem. Go to Nazareth. Okay, it's another plan. In that scene where he was in Egypt, no doubt somehow when he and Mary and, and the child were in Egypt, I'm sure they got news of the massacre of the innocents in Bethlehem. The other day I saw that famous painting by Rubens, The Massacre of the Innocents, in the Art Gallery of Ontario from, uh, I, I believe it's 1612. And uh, there we see the women with their children being wrenched from their arms. And these rough and evil men massacring their children. It's a dramatic and, and uh, scary painting full of upheaval and drama. I can imagine that Joseph must have felt somewhat, you could say, somewhat guilty because he somehow understood that those children being massacred, those innocent children in Bethlehem by Herod's men, these rough men with no qualms, no moral compass. I mean, if you kill a little two-year-old toddler, how can you have a moral compass? I mean, it's, you're rough. You may be effective in doing it, but I would stay away from that man. Probably St. Joseph felt a sort of a, a kind of a guilt enter into him because those children, they were really looking for Jesus. They were like the scapegoats, you could say. But he understood at the same time that they were part of God's providential plan against the wickedness of Herod, who was absolutely mesmerized with power and he who used wicked men for the sake of protecting his own power. Just, it's just that Joseph understood that this child had to be saved, no matter what the cost. Because it was so important because he in some way was going to, to save many, many others. So he had to protect him so that Christ our Lord could protect us from meaninglessness, from making up our own means of salvation. That little child, little Jesus, was going to be the savior of, this, of the world. He wasn't only even his son, he was much more than that. And yet he is silent. He is hidden. He is really almost like a shadow.
I don't know if Joseph and Mary had to stay hidden there in Egypt. It's not likely that they were out and about. On the one hand, it was a different country, it was a different language. So probably they spent a long time together in the home, cooped up. And some people, when they are like that in those situations, like many are today, these days, they come closer to each other. They understand each other, you could say, in a new way. And they end up, as we say, growing on the inside. Like our founder did with our first brothers in the legation of Honduras in 1937. Don Alvaro said, at this time, <clears throat> there, were, there were four with our founder, and he said, it meant a breakthrough in my interior life because we got to live so closely with our founder. He arrived there with Jose Maria Gonzalez Baredo, with Juan Jiménez Vargas, with Jose Maria Eduardo Elastui, and the, later on the brother of Jose Maria Santiago. They arrived there on March 13th, 1937. And they were in this legation, which was a, like a house along the Castellana there in Madrid. And the, the family that owned that house, the name was uh, Pedro Jaime de Mateo. He was a Salvadoran diplomat who was kind of honorary consul general of the Republic of Honduras. And he gave them this, what they called second-class diplomatic uh, protection. It was a nice home, nice place. Yeah, but there were a hundred other refugees in that house. And so they just got one tiny little room, which actually had served previously as a place to store coal. So it was like a coal dump. So it was a, it was, it was rather dark and musty with a window that looked into the courtyard and one single light bulb hanging from the ceiling. Don Alvaro said, during that period, I saw our father immersed in God, serene, full of peace and confidence, knowing that the Lord does not lose battles. At the same time, he had put his life in God's hands. I saw him suffer, yet I saw him, I saw him joyful. I saw him joyful in that cooped up situation. They used uh, little mattresses that they found. They would roll them up during the day and use them as seats. And in the house, it was packed with very frightened people. Many of them lacked any motivation. They had no idea whether or not they were going to be evacuated. And uh, discouragement sapped out the energies of many who, who really fell prey to a, a deep apathy at the same time. In that atmosphere, many of those people just even had the, lacked the energy even to, to waste time, to kill time. Time seemed to be going very, very slowly. And it filled them 
with this boredom and emptiness. That was, like you could say, all over the house of all these hundred refugees. But in that tiny room where St. Maria was with Don Alvaro and those other young men, well, it was different. On the contrary, it was a few months, I believe almost six months, of, of special intensity, special fidelity to what they had received. Bishop Alvaro said that St. Osiria set up heroically a rhythm of human and spiritual, quote, normalcy to, to those days of forced confinement, which for the rest of the refugees were a cause of distress. And he recounts how they would sing Mexican songs, they would start to learn languages. Bishop Alvaro learned Japanese, then he started learning uh, German, they had a German dictionary. Sintosumiria would preach meditations every day. They had mass. Up against a, a uh, you could say, on a, using the altar, a, for the altar, a, a, a suitcase. And on top of the suitcase, he put the corporal. And the owner of the house lent, gave them a, like a glass that they used for a chalice. And St. Maria would exhort them to grow on the inside, as we say. Well, what about me? These days, am I really going to grow on the inside? What way am I going to grow? We cannot grow only when all the circumstances are absolutely perfect. When health is perfect, health is ideal, when we can go out and do our things, what about today? Will I grow on the inside? Will something happen to me in these days? Well, since St. Maria would, would often preach meditations, they would take note of his meditations. And today we have all those meditations that he took note of. Several of them would take note and then they would compare their notes and, and stitch it all together. And on on one of those occasions, St. Maria said that maybe there comes to mind the idea that using the talents we have received from God always implies activity, movement. And now my life is so monotonous. How do I get the fruits of the gifts of God in this forced break, in this darkness where I find myself? Do not forget, you can be like the snow-capped volcanoes whose ice outside starkly contrasts with the fire that devours its entrails. Outside, yes, you can be covered with the ice of monotony of darkness. Externally, you look all bundled up, but inside, the fire will not cease to keep you burning, nor will you get tired of compensating the lack of external action with an intense inner activity. Thinking about me and all your brothers, how fruitful our inactivity will turn out to be. From this work of ours, so poor in appearance, will arise through the centuries a wonderful building. Well, we're in that 
forced inactivity now. And we ask St. Joseph to really help us grow on the inside without fear, with that silence that we need, which is the silence of prayer. And we have recourse to him so that he will intercede for us and make us strong, make us filled with fortitude without fear. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.